Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. It's interesting how I think it takes maybe like, I don't know, four or five times of doing something, at least hosting a radio show, before you feel like you actually belong doing it. Because the first several times that I opened up the show, I sort of was like, what am I doing? I don't belong here. And then someone said it just takes four or five times. You'll feel like a pro. And thank God, after, you know, just sort of getting it into my system um, those first few times, I think maybe we're up to episode. So 12 right now. Um, I really feel like I've been doing this for at least the last two months. Um, today, we have some special guests on the show. The, the topic today is more uh, Kiddush Hashem, more you know, people who reflect positively on the, the Jewish people, particularly the Orthodox community, as that's uh, a big focus of Jew in the City. Um, the group today specializes in helping people a lot like me. Um, there's probably people out there that are coping a lot better when it comes to being responsible, um, but my my husband and I, while we have a lot of talents, um, we are kind of sometimes I feel like children um, running around in adult bodies. For instance, um, we have locked keys in the car numerous times. Um, even recently, I borrowed my parents' car. They were out of town. I locked the keys in the car. I had to get a ride over to their place from their landlord to like get the keys in their house to open up with the second set of keys. And then by the time I unlocked the car, I realized that the keys had actually been in the drawer the entire time. Um, we've also run out of gas on numerous occasions or come very close to it. When my husband and I were first married, we uh, ran out of gas like at the bottom of a hill, like a block from my parents' house where we were visiting. Um, we have run out of gas in our own driveway before, literally, and had to call AAA to get us out of our own driveway. And um, on a speaking engagement about a year and a half ago, coming back from Canada, um, we came dangerously close to running out of gas. We were sort of letting that needle just drop lower and lower. Um, and then we realized it's really time to go get gas. And when we went to the rest stop, we saw it wasn't actually a gas station. It was just like a little you know, building. And we asked them where the next gas station was. And they said 30 miles away. We were like in the middle of the mountain somewhere in upstate New York. And we were praying and just you know letting the car glide as much as possible. And thankfully, we did fill up the car before we broke down on a cold night in the middle of nowhere. Um, and there's probably people that just fill up their gas tank when it's like only halfway empty, like my brother-in-law is one of those people. But for all of those out there who <laughs> lock their keys in the car or think they do or run out of gas in their own driveway um, or other places, there are actually um, people out there that um, are like little angels uh, coming to their rescue. I didn't even know that they existed until maybe a couple months ago when one of my friends who lives in Borough Park, Brooklyn, told me that um, this group, Chaveirim, had gotten her out of a bind. Um, so today we're going to bring on um, a couple of guys who, in their spare time, volunteer for this organization, Chaveirim. Uh, their names are Avi Sipperstein and Yaakov Landau. Avi and Yaakov, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, yeah, we uh, we would love to hear a little bit more. So, could you give us a little bit of a of a history on what exactly Chaveirim is, and if you know kind of when it started? I know that you guys are part of uh, the Queen's branch of Chaveirim, but do you have any idea about sort of the larger history of how this organization got founded, for what reasons, anything like that? Absolutely. So, um, um, uh, Chaveirim of Queens actually we started in two thousand eight, January of two thousand eight. In uh, memory, the organization in Queens was founded in memory of Mr. Jack Friedman. And the inspiration to start an organization like Haverim in Queens 
was actually we found uh, you know we found that people in Brooklyn, the organization in Brooklyn, the Chaverim of Brooklyn division, had started. I think it was either eight or ten years prior. So we're talking around around 2000 or 99. Around then was when a few gentlemen in Brooklyn decided that this was an organization that was worthy of of, of originating and and getting members. And I don't know the exact number of how many volunteers Brooklyn has, but I know that it's a it's a couple of hundred guys, all volunteers. Uh, who basically provide many of the services, like you said, like angels, to assist people who find themselves in situations which uh, many people would certainly be embarrassed to admit that they find themselves in, but ultimately... You mean they wouldn't uh, announce it on a radio show that they're hosting? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think it would be very difficult if we would get, you know, one of our... Uh, one of the people that we helped to come onto the radio show and say, hi, I'm the irresponsible person that, you know, locked my keys in the car. Thank you so much. Though we do get a lot of letters thanking us for the assistance that we provide. And again, uh, the services range from anything, like you said, from being out of gas to being lo you know, locking your keys in the car. Unfortunately, we've had situations, especially with uh, you know, newly married couples, people that are married only, let's say, a year or two, where they have you know, their baby. And I don't want to say they forget their precious cargo in the car, but we've had situations where people even inadvertently leave their child locked in the car. Um, and then everything from being out of gas to getting stuck on the highway. Uh, people have called us when they've gotten into really bad car accidents where their car had to be, let's say, you know, uh, uh, towed and totaled, and they're stranded in the middle of the highway. How do those people get home? Many of them have found help uh, by calling Chaverim. So the organization in Queens, like I said, was uh, we found inspiration that the organ, you know, from the one in Brooklyn. And we decided to put together our own crew. And thank God, uh, about, uh, what are we now? Uh, we're about uh, six years later, seven years later. And we have over 60 volunteers who wow. regularly assist people within the Queens community with various types of emergencies. And how often are you getting calls? How often are they coming in? So when we first started, we, you know, before we got the word out publicly, um, before we had a, you know, a little bit of funding to get the word out, we were getting one or two calls a day. We're at an average of about eight to ten calls a day now for various types of assistance. Hmm. And how do people reach you? Let's say um, they're having trouble. What's, what's the way to uh, get help from some angels? So we have, uh, we have a 24-hour hotline number. It's a 718 number. The number is 718-441-0505. And while, you know, while we're called Chaverim of Queens, believe it or not, Queens actually covers a tremendous uh, area. We get calls from people out, you know, on the island. We get, we get calls from people who are, you know, stuck in the Bronx because we're right near to the Bronx. We even get calls from people who are stuck in, in, in the five towns, which actually has their own Chaverim. We get calls from people who are stuck in Brooklyn, uh, which actually has their own Chaverim. And the beautiful thing about uh, our organization is and, and about our volunteers is that if we get a call from somebody who's in another area, if one of our volunteers is, let's say, in Brooklyn, and we get a call for someone who's stuck in Brooklyn, you know, our volunteers know we're here to help people. We can go and assist that person. And in the event that we get a call from someone outside of our area, but and we don't have anybody available, we will then, on our own, dispatch that call into another neighborhood so that the person is not left unknown, you know, in the uh, unknown and uh, stranded. And how um, how are your volunteers getting the calls? You guys walk around with walkie-talkies or beepers or some sort of thing like that, or 
That's a great question. We started off with a paging system. When we first started back in 2008, we had beepers. And uh, thank God we've graduated uh, with, the, uh, with the use of technology today. Our calls actually get dispatched via email and uh, text. So when, when someone calls the hotline number, when someone calls that 718-441-0505, they're going to get on the phone with a live dispatcher who's going to take down a lot of information to find out exactly where they're located, uh, what the nature of their situation is, is anybody uh, is anybody in danger? Is there any medical emergencies? Believe it or not, very often someone might be in a situation where they're stranded in the cold. They could have an elderly person with them who might be uh, who might uh, have some kind of uh, medical issue. And we're fortunate enough uh, to work, you know, in conjunction with uh, Hatsala, and we have many of the members that are on the Chaverim organization are also volunteers with Hatsala. So in the in a, in a situation where the dispatcher obtains information that says that that they might indicate that there's a medical emergency as well. Um, we very often will try to dispatch a chaver member to help them with their roadside uh, situation, but then also to do a quick evaluation to see if further medical attention might be needed as well. So, um, so you said this is a 24-hour hotline. So you have volunteers that are on call in the middle of the night to help people who have gotten That's run out of gas or. Absolutely, we are we are blessed, and and more recently, uh, I would say we we've, we've been fortunate that we have people that, thank God, you know, we're in New York City, so there's you know people have various uh, hours, people have shifts, people have school, people have work, and we're fortunate enough that there are people that are you know that are available uh, in the evening and the late night and even the early morning hours to assist whoever it is that may need help during that time. How would you say your your Jewish uh, background and sort of the way that you see your your purpose as a, an observant Jew in the world does that play a factor in wanting to be an angel for someone of wanting to go out and help those who are in need? That's a great question. Um, I would have to you know make it more personal in my case and say that uh, while the inspiration to start an organization like this came from seeing that it was working to help others in other communities. Um, I also was raised in a family where my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents have always been involved with various organizations, uh, whether it's the local boys' school, the local girls' school, um, other organizations such as Hatsala. I'm blessed that I grew up in a home and literally right next door to my grandparents who were always involved with community organizations. So it was almost a standard and a given that I was going to get involved with any type of organization or anything that it was uh, while growing up that was going to be able to give back. And uh, my grandmother is actually the one that, uh, that kind of pushed me to do this uh, because I, you know, I'm, I'm always throwing out ideas about things and very often you know how those go. You throw out an idea and then who does the follow-up? And uh, I have to thank my grandmother for being the one to really push me to do it. And my grandfather actually is the one, he's, a, he's an attorney and he actually helped us get uh, the nonprofit started. So, like I said, it was it was a given. My my background, my roots have always been one that was involved with uh, community, with people, with uh, with the or with being involved in helping others. And this was just one way that uh, I was able to to channel it and get other people uh, to see that vision and get involved as well. Was there something about this cause in particular that spoke to your grandmother, or why she pushed so hard? Like why this, as opposed to you know uh, visiting the sick or feeding the hungry? You know what I'm saying? Was there some sort of connection for her or story behind it about why this 
uh, cause poked her in particular? I think, I think she used to get a lot of flat tires. <laughs> <laughs> she did um, not leave her keys in the car or run out of gas. It was this. <laughs> it was the, definitely the flat tires. It was definitely the flat tires. But even I myself, I, I know that I, it actually came right after she gave me the idea. It was, it was very weird. Um, I got a flat, and then the following week I got another flat, and then the following week I got another flat. And oh I was my gosh. Yeah, yeah, it was three weeks in a row. I got three separate flats, and each time I was calling the Javerim in Brooklyn, which was trying to help out. And, uh, and here I am. I'm a young, able-bodied man, and I don't know how to change a tire. And I, you know, I, I said, this, this has to change. If, I'm strugg- if, I'm, if my whole day uh, has been completely shot because I got stuck on the road for a few hours simply because I didn't know how to change a flat and there was no one around, then there are definitely hundreds of other people that are going through this. And if I can make even that, if I can help to make even that small of a difference that somebody can get to a job interview on time, that someone can get to work on time, that someone can get to some other volunteer uh, work that they themselves are doing on time. And these, by the way, are all based, all, all the examples I just gave you are, are, are actually things that did happen. We have thousands of letters that we've received over the years um, that, that tell us about how we've made a difference in someone's day, in their career, in their life. And it's, it's truly inspiring to know that we have people in the community that want to give back and that want to help, but at the same time are seeing the direct results of their efforts as a volunteer as well. The question is if you can help people get their kids off to school in the morning just to catch the bus on time. That's how we're actually struggling over here. So if you have any people, volunteers that you could send to make breakfast and, you know, lunch packing quicker, that would be really helpful. Um, I think to start looking into that. Um, for for the the really the people that are really really barely managing, um, so you've sort of given like general um, you know things about you know job interviews and that sort of thing. Is there any story of sort of like the most dramatic? I mean, I guess maybe you have already. Also, you mentioned the kid being locked in the car. Any specific story that you could like walk us through or anecdote that you could sort of tell us you got there and this crazy thing was happening? Anything? Absolutely, I'll tell you. I'll give you uh, two or three very quick examples. Um, one story recently, and we're not gonna not gonna say any names, but very recently we had a member of the Queens community that got, like I said, into a, a bad accident uh, on the BQE, and they contacted us simply because they wanted to know if a Javerian volunteer can give them a ride home. And it sounded like there was, you know, again they had, you know, they got into an accident, their car was totaled. It sounded like there was something going on, so we sent uh, two volunteers out. One of them was actually, actually both of them were trained uh, uh, EMTs as well. And they picked up the family, and on their way back to Queens, giving them the ride, um, I got a phone call saying, you know, uh, one of the people here might need some medical attention. And we had uh, some volunteers from Atsala standing by when they got back to Queens. And we had the, uh, we had the, the caller assessed, and thank God uh, they're okay. But again, this is just an, one example of going above and beyond. Again, picking up a family in the middle of the night from, you know, from off the highway after their car got totaled. Wow. Literally to making sure that they got, you know, assessed for any potential medical issues once they returned home. Mind you, this is at one thirty in the morning, you know, right. and we, by the time the, you know, the, the whole story was over, it was like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning because mm-hmm. they came back from the accident and then they first were taken to the hospital for the family member that needed to go. But, you know, that was like one thirty. took us, you know, two and a half hours. Another, another example, and I forgot to mention this earlier, is that every year... 
uh, on Purim, we have the Chaverim of Queens Purim Don't Drink and Drive program. Mm. And this was started simply because, unfortunately, there are many people that do find themselves, uh, you know, behind the wheel, uh, you know, on Purim in, 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 in certain situations which are unfavorable. And we decided that we wanted to come up with a way to, if not prevent it, but at least, you know, fix and help the issue in some way. So we actually have a separate 24-hour hotline from the beginning of Purim, literally late into the night after Purim is over the, the following day, so that if anybody is at a party or in a situation where they're drinking and they're tempted to drive, we ask them anywhere in Queens to give us a call and we will dispatch a volunteer to take them home. And I cannot tell you how many uh, lives have been saved just mm. from this program alone. Beautiful. So for anyone that doesn't know um, what the word Chavera means, it means friends. And you guys you guys are like those friends that people would hope they would have that could be there just, you know, in a time of need. So um, now I know you're doing a, a crowdfunding drive right now. If you could just let our listeners know if they've been inspired, if they want to um, help give back and help you guys continue your, your work, where can they find that? Absolutely. Yaakov uh, is going to pull that up right now. And this program is, uh, again, we're trying to outfit another at least 10 to 15 new volunteers so we're looking for new volunteers as well if anybody uh, is interested in becoming a volunteer we're looking for volunteers and we're looking to uh, source uh, we're looking to basically fund these new volunteers and get them uh, all new sets of equipment so that they can continue uh, helping out the, the residents of Queens and beyond is there a and, website yeah it would be the Queen uh, the Queens Haverim equipment drive and that can be found literally at gofundme.com slash J D U Q U eight. Okay, say that one more time, please. Yeah, it would be uh, GoFundMe.com slash J D U Q U eight. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming in and chatting today about the amazing work that you're doing and hopefully inspiring our listeners to find ways to be angels for people in their lives or get involved with your organization or support it in some way. And um, best of luck in uh, continuing to help people in need or people who are a little bit less responsible like me. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Beautiful uh, work done by Haverim and Haverim of Queens. And um, actually got to thinking while they were talking that one time I kind of did uh, a sort of similar thing helping someone who had broken down. It was when I was first engaged. Um, I was bringing my uh, chassan, my fiance, and my best friend to um, some friends that we have in Lakewood, New Jersey. So it was like an hour and a half drive uh, down to uh, visit. And we were running late because we're always running late um, and locking keys in cars and running out of gas. But in this particular time, um, I had thought that we were actually very close to Lakewood because I saw this guy just standing on the street with a big beard and a black hat and I thought like, you know, we're in Jewy Jewville right now. And then all of a sudden my friend said, no, he's sticking out his hand like hitchhiking. So we thought, wait, this guy's in trouble. So we sort of did a quick U-turn on the highway and found this guy and he told us that actually his car had broken down and AAA had come and uh, taken his whole family and kids and wife um, off to Lakewood right in time for Shabbos, um, but that he was left with nothing. He, his cell phone was gone, and he didn't have any money on him. It was all taken. Um, and we sort of looked at him like, what were you doing in the meantime? And he said, I was saying to Hillam, I, I was reciting Psalms. He had no idea how he was getting out of there. So anyway, we thankfully, um, our lateness uh, coordinated with his breakdown, and we took him into the car, and we drove him to Lakewood 
just in time for Shabbos, and it turns out he was staying just a couple doors down from uh, from where we were. So that was kind of a, a special experience. Um, but sort of uh, in keeping in line with our theme today of, uh, you know, religious Jews who help others. Um, there's someone we're bringing on today who I'm just a very big fan of this guy. Um, he is a Hasidic Jew um, from a, a Visionitz background, um, and he is the founder and director of an organization called Masbia, which we have profiled on Jew in the City. He was raised in a home where they just had open doors. Even his grandmother in the Holocaust was searching for food to help other people who were starving. And um, in this home that he was raised in, in his grandmother's table, they had all sorts and types, no matter who they were, where they came from. They fed hungry people. They took people in. And so um, check out the post we've already written about Alexander Rappaport about Musbia. But um, as we're Facebook friends, I'm just sort of constantly uh, looking at different things that he's up to. And a couple of his, of his recent status updates caught my eye, and I wanted to talk to him a little bit more about this. So, um, Alexander, thank you so much for coming on to Jew in the City Speaks today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for that nice introduction. Uh, I, I hope I one day could do the same to you. Oh, so uh, next time you get a radio show, for sure. <laughs> all the great things you do in, in uh, making a Kiddush Hashem every day and spreading the word. So thank you, so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, so th- pleasure. You know, I, I, I try to be a nice person. I, you know, what we're doing is sort of, you know, putting out information and curating great people. So we, we need people to, uh, to, you know, publicize the world to about. I try to be a nice person also in my daily life. But, um, you know, you're a person. I saw that you wrote um, after Shabbos was over something about your mailman and some cholent. Could you tell um, everyone who didn't see your status update what that was about? Because it was just it really touched me. Yeah, okay, so I'll, I'll, it's, it's really just a Facebook post, but in order to make it into a story, I'll start with this. I daven about a mile away from my home, so I usually stop into my father's to do a quick kiddish, and then I walk home. On my way home, it was so bitter cold. At my corner, I noticed my mailman kind of at the corner, and I was thinking, like, wow, he's doing this in this bitter cold. It was, like, really, really cold, and, and I can't say it was Shabbos morning. It was more like Shabbos noon or afternoon, and I say, you know, and I tell him, you pass my home. Come in. I'll give you something warm, and he says, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm used to it, so I told my children, when he passes, let's wait him. Let's stalk him over there. We're going to drag him in, and that's exactly what happened. He kind of came past our house to bring our mail in. We just grabbed him in, so I just schlepped him in through the dining room into the kitchen. I showed him how the challenge is kind of like there, ready for 26 hours, and it's kind of uh, under a towel on my hot plate, and I explained to him what this is, and I said, here, I'll give you... At first, I thought of giving him some uh, just a hot coffee, but then I thought, like, what is my my instant Kayla Shaney coffee going to do for him? You know what I mean? Like, for Sh- Sh- on Shabbos, the coffee is, like, somewhat second best. So I said, the chon is going to be a better thing than coffee for today. And I just explained to him what it is. And then I said, let's just grab a plate. And we just sat down and quickly grabbed the plate. And he was, like, trying to be so honest with his job. He wasn't going to take, like, two minutes to stop and, and eat. But he kind of, I just kind of convinced him it's okay. Just just grab a little bit. He finished the last drop. He also explained to me he was from Polish. He was a Polish immigrant. So he explained that there is something similar type of food in in the Polish tradition. So they have something closer to, again, the older Jewish foods are somewhat 
from Eastern European um, cuisine, so it makes sense that they have a similar type of food. For sure. So just two things. The first thing is that you're, like I said, I try to be a nice person, but like, I don't know if I ever noticed that my male mom was like cold on a cold day when they're bringing over lunch. So where did that, where does this come from? First, I guess the first thing is just to really um, be so attentive to people's and, and the, the needs of other human beings because it's so touching and it's so inspiring and it makes me think like, what can I do when I, you know, end this radio show now to notice others in the world around me? That's the first question. And the second question is, we don't always see this, you know, Hasidic Jews, uh, reaching out to non-Jews in this sort of way. Sometimes, you know, a stereotype that the community has is that we're more insular and not looking to the outside world. So um, how how did that come about, that you, you sort of, you know, are more connected? So I can't speak about others, but I, I could speak about, I'm taking the second one first there, but for me it's kind of natural. So it's not, it's not something that I feel that I should brag even so much, only because I do think that anything good is braggable for the sake of, if someone was just getting encouragement out of it or just filling the fur- the world with good is is worth the bragging you know we we look always from a from a muster point of view that being more humble and not bragging of any good deed is is the right way to do it but i think when it comes to doing good bragging just gets other people to mimic you so it's why why not brag a little bit and get others so i like the fact Although this small plate of chon doesn't deserve more than a Facebook post, but maybe it does deserve some radio, some like like you say, some people to learn about it. But for me, it's more about a natural thing that comes to me when I when I grew up in Borough Park and we were the only Jews on the block where we lived. Now there's only Jews on that block, but to us it was. All our neighbors, all the people around us, we always care. Just as I'm talking to you, I remember the UPS guy. My my parents had a business at home. UPS used to come on Fridays. They used to come especially early because they had to do their shippings early because of Shabbos. And the kugel used to smell so good. And he always said, what's smelling? What's smelling? <laughs> and my mother just grabbed a piece and gave him a little bit of kugel. You know, what are they? he's standing here waiting for the boxes, schlepping it. Why not? share with him a little bit of kugel, a fresh kugel. So it became a whole thing. He almost came, even when we didn't have a pickup, he already came for that piece of kugel. Wow. So for, for us, um, I, I, think, I think another thing, my, my grandmother, the one you mentioned, who did all this great, great stuff during the Holocaust, it's, it's, it's impossible to say great because it's in such a troubling state, but it, she used to go and get beaten for stealing beets and potato peels and, and feed it to other people who were so frail that couldn't walk. But she always was friends with all the non-Jews of the block. What's funny about it is that when it came when a lot of the Italians who kind of retired who lived in Borough Park and lived in her block or two around her, they sold to her their property because they were she was their best friend mm-hmm. throughout the years. So when they decided to leave the community, it was becoming very Jewish and they were moving out. When they she ended up having seven of her 11 children living on her block because they were all so friendly to her. And one, if they were going to sell, they were going to sell to her or her kids or something. So um, throughout, and I know my, my, my father who comes from Canada, my grandmother, she's still alive, also always very friendly to all the non-Jews on the block and all of the non-Jews in their um, summer um, house um, area. 
So for me, it comes kind of natural. So for me, it's kind of I don't I see it as something out of the ordinary. And what was the the first question? If if I notice things, I, I don't know. I'm probably the person who called three one one the most. <laughs> kind of I notice everything. If I see a tree limb falling, I call three one one. If I see a um, some water leaking and uh, from the fire hydrant, I call three. I, I kind of kind of very caring of my surroundings, so I just notice a lot of things. Uh, so obviously, is, some people are like This is a Jewish value that you've been imbued with. Don't stand idly by your neighbor's blood. So, you know, there's uh, that famous case that they bring up in, like, psychology textbooks about um, that woman that was murdered in broad daylight, and everybody thought somebody else was going to, you know, make the call, and... Um, you know, I think when it comes to, uh, you know, strong Jewish values, we feel like it's up to us to, um, you know, to, to be there and, and to be the one to, to make a difference. We just have a couple minutes left, but there was something else if you could explain to us quickly. Another uh, status update I saw, you're in a picture in a park with um, some African-American kids, maybe an Asian kid. Could you tell us a little bit about that, the, a park that there was some trouble in and you decided to, you know, help out and make a difference there as well? Yeah, so, so it's a very, a very interesting thing where there's a park which is kind of, I would say, at the outskirts of what's considered Borough Park, Brooklyn here. And it's kind of where there is um, kids from all ages and kids from all different communities. There are um, Muslim kids, there are um, Hispanic kids and African-American kids and Jewish kids. All um, Asian kids, very, very like a real mosaic, and playing in that small park. It's actually called a playground because it's kind of made for, for it has the monkey bar and the swings, and it's kind of made for smaller kids rather for adult um, sports or what. And whenever the Jewish mothers go there with their kids and toddlers and babies. And the older kids play ball over there, which is not made for ball, really. It's, it's, not, it's not like in a park that's made for ball. And they used to kind of throw very uh, strong balls into the carriages, into the kids, and used to be very disruptive. So it created a whole tension between the Jewish community that was there and, and the, the other neighbors um, who were... Basically, the kids, not the, the other, the other mothers were obviously on the side of the Jewish mothers, but the other uh, kids were kind of like they were kicking the balls, and the, and the mothers would complain. And the truth is, they're right. They 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 weren't supposed to be doing this this wild ball playing, but I decided just to go and hug all the kids and kind of explain to them that. This park is going to be under renovation. We're going to make a small area for ball playing, but the rest of the park is going to have to be for smaller kids and maybe very light ball, but not. Don't try to play soccer in in the in, in, under the swing, so to speak. And what ended up being, they they ended up like uh, um, liking the fact that I spoke with them and kind of to understand that these mothers don't want anything else and what they, they shouldn't just hit their kids and the kind of as much possible kind of created some some synergy some some working together and it, it took actually two years until the park was renovated and what you saw was i gave him a huge hug one of the kids uh, 
or the day after the ribbon cutting of the new area of the park. So he was so excited because I was always telling them, please, we've got to wait, we've got to kind of uh, cool, uh, calm down the ball playing until we have that area. And that day, I just it was his first day in that area where there was that fake grass turf, and it was like kind of a small area where they could imitate a soccer field. It's not a real full soccer court, awesome. but it's just something... So that's that's the, the picture of me and the the African American kids. Beautiful, uh, Alex. We're out of time. I'm so sorry. I could listen to these stories for much longer. Thank you so much for joining us, and everyone. Thanks for continuing to listen, and we'll see you here next Thursday morning at 10 a.m.